Welcome to The Wind Down, an afternoon podcast where two techie blokes sit down over a bowl of wine and chat about what's happening in the world of tech. Enjoy while Scott and Nick open up about their week in technology. Well, ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon and welcome back to The Wind Down. With me, I have... Scott. Hello, Scott. How are you? Good. Thank you, Nick. How are you? I'm very well indeed. So the first question we ask in the wind downs, where are we? What are we drinking? So Strangely enough, we're, we're where we were last week, which in, in a lockdown is not so bad because it's your house. In, in reality, if it was in a bar, that would actually be a bad sign because <laughs> we wouldn't have left. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> But certainly not the case. So, yes, we're still in lockdown. Um, well, let's do the what are we drinking? What are you drinking today, Scott? I've actually got, I dug up a bottle of um, Distinction Point. Now, this is, um, amongst other things, this is a very heavy bottle. Um, mm. I don't know. So they've actually gone way out on it. It's a solid bottle and really adds to the weight, you can tell. This is, a, but it's a Barossa Shiraz, 2015 Barossa Shiraz. And um, this is in uh, New French Oak. So it's actually quite a, a nice one. Actually, interestingly enough, they say 100% new. So I'm not sure what the other alternatives are, but... Uh, <laughs> but don't, don't they reuse barrels? And, and they do. You can, you can get they do. So the... Um, taste from them. Yeah. In, um, in, in fact, it used to be that um, everything was in new oak when they were making barrels because the actual this, this is actually going back like a long a long time when they're making wine because it kept the uh, the coopers who made the barrels busy and of course if you reuse the barrels they didn't need to make anymore so i think the, the either the unions or the industrial revolution part was involved and they say well no you're only allowed to use the barrel once oh, which is why there's so many barrels so built-in <laughs> obsolescence started even then Yes, just with the battery on my smartphone. Well, well, today I've got I've got something a little different. I'm drinking a George Wyndham um, Bin Triple Five Shiraz from 2016. They do all right, actually. You know, yeah. What's the 2016 like? It's this yummy. Um, It's red and it's drinkable and it's 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 wine. It's it's very nice indeed. You achieved the goal, then. (laughs) I have, I have. So wine down today. Um, the topic we're going to talk about today is is kind of funky because we're arguing about it a little bit before. Um, (laughs) really, really about how do I access my systems and my data remotely? What what are the various options open to me? How can I do that? How can I get my users effective remotely? i.e. not sitting next to a server and how do i do that in a secure way and what are the various options so i thought we'd chat around that if that kind of makes sense it, it, it does actually because it's it's changed a lot actually and maybe not in the way people think yeah no you're We've actually you're, you're dead right yeah it's um it's had a bit of a whole generational shift or a paradigm shift uh, as well which is um it, it's interesting so we, we can go through a bit of a journey with that yeah, I think I think we should. Well, let's start at the beginning, like we normally do, and go back in time to when computer systems were run in in the office. So the world of on premises. Right? So when I started in IT back in the early nineties, um, we had servers and devices in a computer room in our office, and you had to be in the office to access those. You you, you did. That's true. And taking work home meant taking the printouts home and scribbling on them and then bringing them back the next day and entering all the little things you'd circled in red pen and yeah, well, one of the senior partners had one of those luggable laptops with the orange phosphor 
screen ah. running super calc and so you used to be yes. able to take fairly very early spreadsheets home in dos well it was interesting because i um i was one of the first users of one of those there was an ibm uh, p70 i think it was and uh, basically it was a it was a briefcase you actually had a handle it was quite heavy it was uh, seven or eight kilos or something like that but it was a computer in a case and you were able to take it home and you'd use it at desk and a bit like you'd use a laptop now except it's quite a likable thing um and you'd take it with you where you went yeah so the but you'd have to plug it into the power and yeah there you were p70 i've actually got a picture of it would you believe um so let's see if i can i can actually get that picture to appear here so i'm just gonna uh, save it there i'm gonna go to brand um well Well, i know around that time Around the time, yep. Compaq had one as well, um, but because I was I was actually at IBM at the time, so this was a uh, an IBM machine we used, and yeah. um, it went with me everywhere. I used to travel a bit, and it would be on planes, it would be in the hotel, it'd be out of client sites, and there we go up the top uh, of the screen. Yeah, yeah, the, the floppy drive popped out. It was great, orange screen and everything, little clackety clack 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 keyboard. Yeah, there we, there we go. So that's the old IBM P70. There we are. Good use of streaming. So, okay, so we had all that world where, um, you know, we had to be in the office. And then we started to get things like lease lines. And I remember working for British Gas Properties just after I got to the UK. And we wrote an app that ran over ISDN. Oh. So suddenly your, your apps are bursting out from just in the office to remote offices as well. Yes. And look, ISDN in the UK, was that the 64K version yeah, we like two, we had two here? Bond, we had two bonded pairs, so you got 128. Yeah, okay, but it's not the 56K US version. No, 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 no. no okay. Version. Okay. Yes, ISDN was wonderful. It was efficient. It was a very efficient delivery system, like error-free, but it just didn't go very fast. And it was expensive. But we, we wrote an app which actually talked, so we had a bunch of property people as British Gas Properties where we were selling off a bunch of properties. We wrote an app so they could share the properties in Scotland and Cornwall and all sorts of places. Uh, and they use ISDN to all call back to a central location where right. they share the database. No, that makes sense. Okay, and they'd update all the data in there and yeah, okay. Yep. But that but that was it. You used to be able to dial into things. Right. Yes. And if not ISDN then maybe a modem or Yep. Yep. Yep, so we have, have modem. So we're starting to access things, and obviously you could access things like CompuServe and AOL and um, and things like that. Um, but also yes. you started to be able to access your work. You were able to dial into work. Mm. And that's where we started doing remote access. At 2400 board. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I think it was about 14.4 probably around that time. It started to go up a bit from there, but it became efficient enough to be able to do basic stuff. Yes. Okay, but you were essentially do basic stuff. Yeah, but but your applications were still in the office. Yes. Yes. So that's on that, your we have, premises. We had, we we had very little security on that kind of stuff. You used to be able to dial in, and if you yeah. knew the number and could dial in, probably had a username and password. But that was about it, right? You were you were in like Flynn, and if you stuck it on a yellow sticky, somebody else could could get in. But they could only do certain things. And then we started plugging ourselves into the internet. Ah, yes. I remember the internet back in the old days. 
<laughs> well, it started being dial-up, and then, then we got better and better lines, and then we got broadband yeah. connectivity, and now every organization is connected to the net. But So it is, now, it is the speed that's driving the access, though. It is the speed, and it's suddenly the utility of the whole thing. I can... I can yeah. now access things at kind of networky speeds. Uh, it's no. It used to be in the office. The network was so much faster than you could get remotely. It it, it kind of you didn't get a good experience. But now I've got a, I've got a gig here, um, which is as fast as I could possibly get in the office. Right. Um, that so would that make sense. That, that makes sense. So suddenly I've got all this access, but my applications are no longer in my office anymore. No, they're all over the place. In fact, you don't oh. know where half them are. You don't. You don't. Well, nobody knows where Zero or Office 365 is, right? That's right. It's in the magic cloud. <laughs> you hope it's in Australia, or you hope your data compliance policies are being adhered to. Oh, my data compliance policy says put it wherever you want. I don't really mind. But um, <laughs> yes, there are some people who want their data to be in Australia. And we're not going to have the data sovereignty argument. We'll have that another day. But um, but that's certainly so a discussion, though. Yes. So, so what are the different ways we can access apps? And we talked about Office 365 and we talked about Zero, but Office 365 has a host of different ways you can access it. So one of the ways is just on the web, using a web page. Yes. Same as Zero, right? One of the other ways is using applications like Outlook and Word and you know, the OneDrive client. And so you kind of integrate with those services. Um, but there's other ways to access applications. Whatever happened to remote desktop? Well, just before we go to remote desktop, I'll tell you what, I'm, for a number of years there, I used um, G Suite on Google. Yep. Um, that's what we were, we were using at the time. And I'll tell you what, they are all browser-based apps. Everything is in a browser. Now, having yep. said that, it was never as powerful or as strong as the full desktop app. Yep. You can always do some more things in the equivalent sort of, you know, um, the, the Excel or Word or whatever. There was always more powerful commands in there. Um, but it was pretty functional. And I think over time, and we're seeing this even from the Microsoft side now, if you look at the browser versions of the Office apps, they're actually getting pretty complete. And all you need in theory if anywhere in the world is open up a browser and bang, there you are. Yeah, well, with, most with, with some of the remote, desktop apps that they can open up a browser and get a remote session but we won't go to, we won't go as far <laughs> that's actually yeah, those apps are getting stronger and stronger but it doesn't nothing stopping you and you know, i use tools on my laptop that you have to run on a computer right i use you know, visual studio saying that there's visual studio code spaces and you can do that online yeah but, but but you know things like there's lots of things i do that i like to use a, a machine for but there are a lot of legacy corporate applications mm -hmm. that you may want to migrate into the cloud or not, but you still need to be able to directly run them on a computer. You do. You do. It's so not like a, a hosted app. Then you're going to need network connectivity into somewhere where mm. that app works because they normally don't work on a zero trust basis. They, you know, you, once you've got in, you're talking to databases and things. That's where VPNs come in. Yes, oh, the famous VPN. So VPN's been around for a long time. Talk to me about VPNs, because obviously we, and I understand corporate VPNs, I've used them for years, and some of our listeners won't, but there's also things like the, now the ones that are being advertised at the moment, where you can buy this commercial VPN product, and you can pop up in America and watch American Netflix. So, so the, what's, the dif what's the difference between NordVPN and, and a commercial VPN, and how do they work? Okay, so let's, let's start off with VPN, Virtual Private Network. Basically, what it does is it creates 
think about a pipe or a tunnel from your machine into your destination network. So it makes it look like you're on the target network. So if I created a VPN connection across the internet into, for example, a, a client network or our office network, it would appear as if I'm on that network and can therefore directly access applications there. Now, all the traffic that flows back and forth is secured. There's a number of different protocols for that. Uh, and um, I can get things done, keeping in mind that, of course, I'm limited to the speed of my connection. So if I have a really heavy application that may need a client runs on my laptop and I try to access a big database and suck lots of data back and forth, that may not work very well. But for the most part, things will work. Um, but I think so the, 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 the target network sees you as being on its network. It doesn't see you as being remote, right? It thinks you're... Well, it, it treats you as being on the network. You can, in your firewalls or in your VPN hardware, work on that. I understand these connections are remote and put some security policies around them accordingly. And, you know, you've got to have the right user ID, password, uh, encryption keys, or whatever it is to be able to correctly access the network. Um, but that is, that is essentially what you're doing. You are remotely accessing your physical network somewhere else. But I can also... It used to be very, VPN very popular. I can VPN into a cloud network as well. So I can do... You can, can because do. that's a network that's somewhere else. Yes. Yes, and So... They, they did used to be incredibly popular. That's how most people access their business resources, right? Mm. Well, th that was the solution for like the last 20-odd years, as in you know, the way to do things. But in reality, what are you doing? You're connecting into another network purely so you can access something that exists in that network. Well, if the thing that exists in that network, like an old corporate application, has been modernised and moved to the cloud and you don't really need to sit on the same network as the application. You can just talk to the cloud directly. You don't need a VPN. Nah, because we've got all these new protocols, right? Because I think, and, and people go, oh, is the cloud secure? Well, I don't know if you've ever used internet banking. In a way, that's running in a cloud. That's right. Now, it could be running on the bank in the bank's data center. It could be running in one of the cloud providers. You'll never know. Well, you can kind of find out, but you, you kind of don't know and you really don't care, right? The, the bank's providing that. Um, they don't really care what kind of rubbish machine you're running on because of the protocols they use. The bank's secure and you're secure. Yeah, yeah. and this, is, this sort of leads into the concept of zero trust. We won't go there today, but the idea is if it used to be when you had the corporate network and you VPN in, oh, you must do it from a corporate laptop because we can still control that, we can run the right antivirus, we can lock other tools from running and all that sort of thing. But these days people don't really care. All of a sudden we had this um, coronavirus thing kick off. All these people went home and used their home computers to access the corporate data and uh, a lot of that stuff went out the window because nobody was set up for it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's funny, isn't it? And so suddenly everybody's is, is having a conversation with the customer and they're going, oh, we don't think our remote access system's working. And well, well, you've been using it for weeks and everybody seems to be fine. What do you mean it's not working? Oh, well, it doesn't do this and that. Yeah, but fundamentally this thing works, right? So hmm. it's fascinating. Hey, look, the, the thing is, when the, uh, the work from home edicts first came out, what we saw was a mass influx of laptop orders. Yep. For organizations that weren't really set up to work remotely from the cloud to very quickly order like hundreds and thousands of laptops in some instance to get them all set up as quickly as they could to give to staff to be able to control where people were accessing data from. Um, what's happening though, 
uh, is that for the businesses that had moved to the cloud and were more modernised, they didn't really care about how yep. or what you were using to access their systems because they knew that they put the appropriate security controls in place in the cloud. So if, you know, if you're on a home PC and a browser or whatever like that, that, that's okay. You can't really do anything because they're managing that control anyway. Yeah, and that's a big thing, right? If you're a home PC and you VPN in, if you've got a virus or something malicious, you can quite easily communicate it with the network. If you're accessing secured cloud applications, you just can't. Yeah, well, um, I was, um, as I was saying to a, a client at the time, they've got 30 or 40 odd sites and they are fairly secure in their thing. And he said, yeah, well, look, we're sending everybody home. They're all VPNing in. It's all good. So when well, you realize now your corporate network is only as strong as your weakest home network because you've got a VPN tunnel straight into it. You're basically joining all these networks together and it's all flowing through your corporate data network as the hub. Yeah, oh, hang on. <laughs> yeah, that, so, is, that is quite frightening. You've, you've got a point there. So anyway, so we've moved past VPN. Let's chat about you know, the, the, you know, the elephant in the room, remote desktop. Remote the, desktop. The, the, Look, so the, the way most small businesses have been compromised over the last 20 years or 10 years, there's always a remote desktop connection on port 1433 or whatever it is. I can't quite remember. I think it's probably SQL port. But anyway, um, on that yeah. Yeah, for something. Um, and and people just brute force passwords and get into those. Okay. So first of all, remote desktop is a way where you can connect your client into a server and your applications will run on that server and it basically sends back the keyboard and mouse commands and the screen. So it's like you're really running it on your local machine, but it's really running somewhere else and you're just seeing the visual output of that. Mm -hmm. Now, that's all very good. Most organisations would say, in order to access this you know, server farm where the remote desktops sit, you need to VPN in, so you've got a secure connection into the network, then you can run your RDP client to connect into the server farm, connect to a remote desktop and run the local applications there. That's what would normally happen. However, what we have seen, and this is the 100% wrong way to do it, and we can certainly argue about this to whatever, but people have been known to put those remote desktop servers on the internet. Yes. As in, well, why do I need this VPN thing? all sounds hard. I'm just going to publish port 2389, the remote desktop port, on the internet so I can connect to it directly without having to VPN because the protocol itself is encrypted and secured, and that's, that's all right. That's not the issue. The issue is you're now exposing your terminal server farm to the world, yep. and there's quite a lot of systems out there in hacker land and we'll quite happily go through and look at all the IP addresses that exist in the world. And yes, we'll say, well, hang on, there's a lot of those. Is it, yeah, computers are fast these days. You can go and quickly run up like 5,000 of them to go and do searches. And they'll come back and say, look, here are all the open ports for 3389 for RDP sitting on the internet. Oh, good. Let's go try them. What's the default password? The default account? Administrator. Can I log in with administrator? Yeah. What's the default password? Well, try password. Try administrator. Try this. Try... And Let's all go and try a hundred things. And if you haven't got your security controls in place, such as disable the account after three or five attempts, such as, you know, put a block in for 20-minute wait after whatever, then people are just going to brute force in and wait. And it doesn't have to be administrator. They'll go and search the dark web for people's names and whatever else is and user IDs and, and just say, oh, look, here's ABC company. Here's a, I found all their addresses on the internet. 
I've now found that they're publishing an RDP port, a remote desktop port on the internet. I'm going to go there and try all these user IDs. And for everyone, just try the most common 5,000 passwords. You know, bang, 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 bang. Eventually you get in and you've got access to corporate data. Just like that. You can then upload it all and do whatever you like with it. It's, it's actually <laughs> quite simple. It's depressing too. Um, so we've got to make sure that sort of stuff is always locked down and treated properly. Firewalls are in place, controls are in place. Um, it's not that often these days, but a lot of the bigger hacks that you hear about, it all comes down to we'd secured 99% of our network really well, like you know, like with you know, security guards and locks and systems and firewall, no one would get in. We just haven't gotten to this thing at this other acquisition that we did 10 years ago that's still yeah. got this little site in book that, yeah, yeah, and and that's, that's the issue. thing, and that that's that's something we'll talk about when we get to zero trust. Is, it is, you know, most networks used to be hard on the outside and soft and squishy on the inside. Yes, and the problem when you VPN into a soft and squishy network is you've then got access, or you RDP in but to a soft. And once squishy you're in the goo, network. you're in the goo. Yeah, that's so the whole it's thing. Now, now making everything. You know, islands that are hard on the outside that don't trust anything and and then you have a yeah. shared authentication mechanism you log in once you authenticate you can get just the bits you want it's a it's a cool way to design things and it's very how we do things now there are some architectural changes yes so um, so given given that seeing as a, a number of our audience you know run small and medium businesses um and they struggle to get good, small and medium business struggle to get good technology advice, right? It's yes. Just, just one of the things. There's some, there's, with the small and medium business, there's small and medium IT players. And small and medium IT players can be anything from people who've done awesome work in enterprise who've come into SMB IT and people who've grown up in SMB IT because their mates did it and they thought it was a good idea and, and may yeah. not be totally across you know, the latest and greatest thinking in technology. How do, how do people get a handle on yeah, how do I do this? Am I secure? What's what's going to get me? You know, how do people access? I suppose there's some things you can look out for, like VPNs and RDP and those sorts of things. Yeah. Look, as a starting point, you, I guess the question you don't ask is, am I secure? Because the answer is always no. <laughs> yes. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much work you've done. There'll be a way to get around it. So the, you can't look at, am I secure? What you can do is say. Have I put appropriate security controls in place to ad address the key risks that are affecting my business? Yep. And sometimes you don't know what those risks are. And this, when we talk about like your IT and support and you know, in projects and locking stuff down, that's the technical element to it. But before all of that, there's another IT part that sits at the business layer that looks at what are the risks to the business? What exactly is it we're trying to protect? And all of a sudden, that becomes a very dry topic and a bit of a dull topic because for technical people, you know, oh, really, you want us to go and work this out? How about we just do this, this, and this? And that's good, but you may not cover everything. You've really got to have a closer look at the business layer. Otherwise, you'll probably miss things. You'll put in wonderful technical solutions that address half the issue. And then you wonder how you got hacked because you forgot about the other half of the issue that was over here that you actually did nothing about. So, um, so things like, yeah, I know you're, doing, you're working with a customer at the moment on ISO 27000. Um, yes, and that's uh, certainly a, 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 a big, big chunk of work to, to do. Um, it is, but yes. it is a big chunk of work, but it helps you cover a lot of those aspects, it, doesn't it? It's, look, it's a process. Uh, I would say that the average SMB client would be completely overwhelmed by a proper ISO 27001 implementation. 
that would probably be overkill for them. Um, in the US, they actually started doing this um, concept NIST, so the, the National um, Institute of Standards, Institute of Standards Technology. and Technology. Technology, yes. They put out their version of sort of ISO that was about, it's about 80% of what ISO is, just it's a bit more technical, which is good, and there's tools around to help with that. Even that's a lot of work. Um, but in some states in the US, you need to show that you are actually NIST certified. Now, you self-certify. You don't need to get a third party in, but you need to show that you've gone through the exercise, you've ticked the boxes, you've put appropriate controls in place. Um, okay, a control didn't work and you got broken into. That's okay, but you've actually previously done something to at least stop that particular control like, like from you happening. Are, you, are, you are, you know, as a director, you have fiduciary responsibilities to run a company absolutely uh, this is just extending it out to the technology you use which kind of makes sense it, it is and if you look at what's happening and this isn't just australia but i'll mention australia specifically the um, the director responsibilities are actually getting very close into cybersecurity. they're getting into have you put the appropriate controls in place and are you do your policies and have you actually enacted on those policies? Not just I wrote something down, therefore something must exist. But have you actually put things in place to address your policies to protect yourself against the controls that are there? And, and this is where it starts to become interesting because previously um, this wasn't really a key sort of focus at the director level. And to some degree, the directors on the boards didn't really even get this at all. Yeah. Then they're starting the awareness is coming through, and we've actually gone past that now to the point where we're now going to start holding you liable. If you cannot show that you have done something, and by done something, I don't mean, oh, we got a third party and they did some stuff and told us they did some stuff, therefore it must be good. No, no. Have you actually understood what has to be done? Have you got the third party to do it? And have you verified that what they did meets your controls? Yeah. That's where it's getting to. Yeah, no, there will be a few years of that sort of thing, but this is real stuff. Yep. Yep, no, it, it, it is, and, and it's important. So advice to business owners is get yourself across this, understand it, that the um, the NIST option is also there. You know, you, I know it's US-based, but you can go download that and work with it if, if you want to. Hey, look, there's, but it, there are some, also, I will say there are some parts to NIST, and especially ISA, it may work at, hey, this stuff isn't applicable for my business. That's okay, you don't have to do it. There is a thing called uh, like a statement of applicability where you actually work through what is applicable and what isn't. But yep. even if you just got half of the things in place, you're a lot better off than having nothing. Yeah, and and I would say and you know go well I'm a simple business, but you don't necessarily have simple technologies. <laughs> there are no more simple businesses. <laughs> <laughs> no good point. <laughs> cool. That was that was a fascinating chat, Scott. We're kind of up on yeah. time, unfortunately. But um, oh look at uh, that. that that was super, and that was awesome. I, I enjoyed that. Now, uh, certainly, if you're if you're listening along or you're even watching live, thank you so much. Um, do subscribe. Give us a like on YouTube. Hit the little bell icon so you get notified when we do new videos. Um, this is available both in video streaming, um, but also as a podcast. And you can listen to it on all your favorite podcast places, including audible.com. Um, so thank you for listening and watching and please leave us a comment if you want us to discuss something we're, we're, we're more than happy for topics to discuss so, so throw something in we can get some, some visitors in we can have some other people come and, and hang out with us and, and drink some wine and talk about some technology stuff excellent cool thank so you Nick. To me to say thank you Scott for, for being here once yes. again sure. and thank, thank you, you everyone thank you all of you have a fantastic day bye bye bye